Yeah, he's just in attack mode all the time. Um, he's super fun to play behind. He's aggressive. Um, he's not scared of anybody. He's fearless. Um, you know, he just attacks guys. Obviously, he's got great stuff, but his mindset and approach and everything, he's, you know, he's no fear, which is, you know, awesome for everybody to see and learn from, too. Thanks a lot. That is... That is Dante Paget talking about uh, Robbie Ray's performance uh, yesterday. And, and so, you know, Robbie Ray did it again, 13 Ks, but zero walks. Uh, great line as the Jays get by Tampa by a score of, of 6-3. to three. Plenty to deal with with the Jays, even though it's an off day and they, they get Minnesota on the weekend and then do the reverse next week. I think they play something like 10 days in a row, uh, the three on the weekend, and then on to Tampa, and then on to Minnesota, and then finally get, the, what is it, the 27th is, their, I think, their next day off. So a bit of a stretch there, but it's the reverse of this weekend. Uh, the Jays would love to go into Tampa and win that series and, of course, handle Minnesota. And in terms of what everybody else did, well, they all kept yesterday so um, that's where we are in that particular situation uh, Yankees and Toronto the Jays dead heated in the wild card spot and in Boston with that uh, what they have a, a five spot uh, in the uh, top of the tenth to get by Seattle nine four uh, yesterday uh, they are point zero zero one percentage points behind so uh, they have played as we detailed yesterday two more games uh, one ahead in the win column and one uh, one more in the loss column. So it, it all evens out. Uh, I guess if you look at that, you're figuring out how this tracks, and I think we would uh, expect that it would be Toronto, New York, and, and not Boston, but we'll see how that plays out. Uh, you could sneeze, and, and the standings would change at this particular point. That's the baseball story. Dave Festcheck will be by to talk about that. And the Leafs, as they get set for their training camp, of course, the Prospect Tournament, um, coming up on the weekend in Traverse City. They're there now, and the breaking story just happened a couple of minutes ago. This was in the wind, but it's now been confirmed that the Leafs and Sabres will play the outdoor game, the Heritage Classic, at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton on Sunday afternoon, March thirteenth, 2022. So that's been confirmed. Bettman in a statement saying when the Leafs meet the Sabres at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, we again will honor Canada's a uh, preeminent role in the history of our game. Thank you for that. Well, renewing a great and long, outstanding NHL rivalry in addition to, uh, you know, inviting for the first time a U.S.-based team to the Heritage Classic, celebrating the Golden Horseshoe region as the home of so many fans and players, for that matter. And really what this does for Buffalo is it reestablishes with a closed border uh, the Canadian content in their stands. Uh, certainly that's one of the byproducts out of this. And, you know, we look forward to that. Leafs and Sabres, March 13th, Hamilton's Tim Hortons Field. Now, originally this game was slated as a Buffalo home game, so they didn't really say who is the host team, and, and I don't know how that plays out, but uh, I'll keep an eye on that. But the original release, well, it wasn't the original release. The original reports stated this would be a Buffalo Sabres home game. Uh, so there is uh, some sound that we can deal with, as, as uh, Dave Fester will be with us in a couple of minutes. Also later on, I'm going to play Yes Guy, No Guy with producer Stephanie, and Matt Cause, host of Gameplay, will be by at 1245 because... Cause didn't get his allotted word count in yesterday, and so he needs to add to that. He needs to bring his weekly total up, and we're pleased that he could do that on the end of our broadcast today. And by the way, if you're looking for Leafs lunch that returns before the start of the Leafs season, in the meantime, Toronto today grinds on. So this is MJ on Overdrive yesterday on how long uh, Matthews and Marner need to apologize for. This, This is an interesting take. Let's take a listen. How long do they need to apologize? Like, uncle already. Like, I get it. They're disappointed. Oh, I thought you made a great point when they're trying to dissect every word Austin said. Like, they're just kind of using throwaway cliches at this point. Like, they can only beat themselves up publicly 
for so long. Like, you know, they got to live their life. They got to move on. Guys got engaged this summer. Guys, things happen. Their, their life moves on, and fans don't want to hear that. But, like, it's the reality. I mean, they got to. Yeah. The guys, Austin Matthew wants to go to a UFC fight, hang out with Biebs, like, whatever. Like, let him do his thing. You can't sit in your dark basement for four months because you lost, even though fans might think that you should. So I think, you know, getting back, playing, getting over this, and just asking questions and having them be worried about now, as opposed to always apologizing for the disappointment of the spring, will probably do everyone wonder. Okay, so that's uh, Mike Johnson, and I owe an apology to the Bichette family. Of course, it's Bo Bichette. I just, you know, vapor vapor trails earlier today when I when I said that. So I apologize for that. Bo Bichette talking about Robbie Ray's great performance, um, and uh, Dave Festchuk will be with us very shortly. Chris, you can let me know when he's there. So uh, basically, the MJ thing on, on overdrive yesterday. How long do Matthews and Marner need to apologize for? Well, you know, I mean, if they're in another market, if they were in an American market and won the the uh, Rocket Richard Trophy and, and first team all star they'd they'd be apologizing for nothing they'd, they'd be having their own parades but but here with that stanley cup drought uh, it's great that you can have the regular season success but but not uh, you know if you don't win in the playoffs it doesn't go anywhere and that's really the high standard that that everybody has to uh, attain and, and uh, achieve over the course of the next year when you look at the next season this season coming up for the leaves um, you know you could call this a, a judgment season on a lot of things, and that just that—that's the team judgment. Never individuals. If, if pieces don't work, they're moved out in any situation, and and you're looking for the right pieces to win. Uh, not an indictment on, on certainly on a person. And in this particular case, uh, because of the salary cap, I mean, you have uh, issues with the salary cap that that don't really apply to the player's ability at all. It it, it adds another layer to this. How do you fit it all in and, and make it all work? Well. It hasn't worked so far, and that brings the ultimate question: What would be a successful season for the Maple Leafs, meaning the front office, for the players, and for you? What is the answer to that question? Um, that is the ultimate ask: Is you know what defines success for the Maple Leafs? A lot of people would say right away, Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup. It has to be that. Well. You know, having said that, uh, you know, would you accept anything less? That's the ultimate question. So let's bring in Dave Festek from the Toronto Star. Uh, Dave, welcome in. How are you today, sir? Mr. Taddy, great to hear your voice. Doing great. What is the what is the definition of success for the Maple Leafs this season, Jim? I think it, yeah. it's the lowest possible bar. Win around. Forget the cup. Forget anything beyond the first round of the playoffs. You got to win four playoff games. That is that is the be all and end all right now because they've set the bar that low. Yeah, well, absolutely. So, so anything. I mean, it's not not hard to improve on it, but but at some point, I mean, you know, I guess we're looking at you know what would what would uh, retain employment for a lot of people, and that includes the players. But but having said that, I, I find this this story to be somewhat intriguing because whether you win the cup or not, there's built-in roster transition. Anyway, I just I guess if if you disappoint, the roster transition happens faster than the normal. So how do you read all of that? Yeah, look, I, I don't doubt for a second that when you listen to Kyle Dubas talk about the coming season and frame it in sort of a last dance kind of uh, context, and when you, you know, you just talk to anybody that's connected to this team, yeah, th- there's a there's an absolute desperation here, Jim. Like, there's a feeling that the status quo, as much as we're, you know, the status quo is what they're going with this year. We heard Brendan Shanahan defend the core of this team at the end of last year's collapse against the Montreal Canadiens, and we heard him say, we will get this done, this group will get this done. Um, but 
there's nobody's under any illusion that that kind of uh, a spin is going to work again if this team a fails to make the playoffs, which would be the most disastrous, obviously, outcome of a season like this, or b fails to win a round. Uh, there's that that will not be a possible explanation, right? There's no way that stay the course will be a message that will be accepted by the fan base, A, but forget the fan base. I really of the belief that that the stay the course mantra that that Brennan Shanahan, you know, I think successfully relayed in the in the wake of that massive disappointment against the Canadians, he won't be able to pull that trick again. Jim, there's gonna have to be big changes if indeed this team does not live up to the expectation of winning around. So yeah, what what would those changes be? Well, I would I would say it would have to be the trading of what are the one of the members of the core for. I think it would have to be in some ways there would have to be a management shakeup. I think I, I don't think you could go on with the management team as it is. Uh, you know, if you couldn't win a playoff round uh, at the end of all this, so I, I think a lot looms over this team. There's a ton of pressure to make it happen now. And as much as Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews will you know, meet with the media and tell them that they don't necessarily feel that pressure to win now uh, because they're still in their early 20s and they've still got long careers ahead of them, which is true. You know, there are other people in this organization who clearly do not feel the same way, and I think rightly. You know, this is uh, the, the clip. I don't know if you heard MJ's clip on Overdrive yesterday about how long Matthews and Marner need to apologize for. I mean, this this whole this regular season thing is almost suspended animation. I mean, you know, you're going to be down there. I'm going to be covering the games, and they're going to say stuff after each game. I just wonder, you know, if you somehow have to put it all in perspective and realize that what happens during the regular season is not connected to the playoffs. I think we all we're all aware of that. Well, yeah, we are. I mean, I guess like in some ways. Like the 82 games we're about to witness that the Maple Leafs play, they they could be the most irrelevant hockey games we've ever watched in our lifetime. Because as much as you know, every NHL season ultimately comes down to the playoffs, and almost every NHL season is measured by the playoffs. You know, th- this Maple Leaf team, because of the way it was, you know, broken down to the to the studs in the in the early days of the Shanna plan, in the in the way it came up from being a thirtieth place team in a thirty team league to being what it is like the regular season mattered there for a few years. It mattered that they were making progress in the regular season. It mattered that they were, you know, doing what they were doing, that they were becoming a playoff team and they were not only becoming a playoff team, but a perennial playoff team. Those steps were important, but they've gone past those steps now to the point where the only way this regular season will matter, Jim, is if they underachieve to the point where they don't make the playoffs. That's the only way anybody's really going to pay attention. That's the only way it'll be of any consequence because I don't care what they do, Jim. I'm not sure what they could do in the regular season. I don't care how many games in a row they won. I don't care how many points they collect. I don't care if it's a franchise record or a league record. It will still come down to, yes, but can you win four games in the playoffs. It doesn't matter if you win 60 or 62 or whatever the record is. It, it'll be absolutely irrelevant. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting season for that reason. Like, we're about to witness six months of hockey that might not mean very much unless it doesn't go very well, in which case it'll mean an awful lot. Okay, this may be an interesting answer. And the question is, who is the most important player to the Leafs this season? Wow, that's that is a good one. I mean, in in some ways, to me, I I almost might think it's Jack Campbell, uh, because I think goaltending, ah. goaltending to me is has has been a, has been an issue. Obviously, when you know when they 
who who took the brunt of the blame when they failed to make it past the first round uh, against the Bruins and 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 and. in the years before this past year, when clearly it wasn't just goaltending that did them in against the Montreal Canadiens, although you know the Game Seven goal that, that Campbell uh, let in was was clearly you know n- not optimal. But Jack Campbell, they've got a lot riding on right now, right? He's a value goaltender in the final year of a contract, and he performed you know way beyond expectation last year in something of a fairy tale season for him. But he was also, you know, injured three separate times and and missed time on three separate occasions. And so the question is, can you rely on this guy to be, if not a number one, then a 1A with Peter Mrazek uh, to the point where he's going to have to play a fairly heavy workload of games considering his career has been littered with other instances where he's been, you know, very hard-pressed to stay healthy. I mean, I've talked to quite a few goaltending experts that just say his style, which is kind of a, you know, for lack of a technical term, and and I've heard goaltender coaches use this. They say, this is a guy who jumps around the crease a lot. He's very gymnastic in his style. And gymnastic goaltenders, you know, guess what? They're they're walking groin injuries waiting to happen. They're walking hip injuries waiting to happen. They're walking knee injuries waiting to happen. Um, And and that's been the track record of Jack Campbell. He's had a hard time staving those things off on a day-to-day basis and month-to-month basis. So in some ways, I think, you know, it might be Jack Campbell because I just think – you know, this is a team we know they 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 put some pressure on their goaltending. They they've done that in the past, and and they've needed goaltenders to be uh, above average for the, them to be successful. And so I do think I can make a case for Jack Campbell among many other players. Clearly, because you know this is it's always tough in a, in, a, in a team sport like hockey to say it's on one guy. Yeah, no, I agree. In fact, that was my answer as well, just because if he was to deliver the way he did last year in 50 to 55 starts, uh, that would be a major breaking story. And, of course, then you'd you'd deal with the aftermath when it came time to re-sign him. But I I totally agree with you. Let's go back to the fact that this is an 82-game regular season back in in the divisional setup. And and what does that mean for a guy like like Sheldon Keefe, who hasn't done that before? Well, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, what does it mean? If you want to spin the sort of the doomsaying story, it's, it's, it means that you just missed your best chance. Like you, you just had it laid out in yeah. front of you with the North Division. It means that you really squandered something in not getting past the Montreal Canadiens in the first round and seeing, you know, taking, taking a swing into the second round with a, with maybe the best pass you'll ever have to getting deep into the playoffs in this era. Uh, what it means now is there's a lot more pressure on this team and on Sheldon Keefe to figure out a way to to make these 82 games vital for his team. And I think that the, this is an interesting paradox, right? Like when you think about, and it's an interesting quandary for a coach like Sheldon Keefe, because the guys that live in this town and the guys who've played in this town for a while, and, and, and many guys in this roster certainly know this town intimately and understand the heartbeat of this city and, and, and the quirks and, and, and uh the the sort of the the psyche of this city everybody on this roster realizes that what they're going to be judged by everybody in this manager group realizes what they're going to be judged by and the coaching staff too Sheldon Keefe is well aware that nothing his team does in the in the regular season is going to impress anybody and that it's all going to be with the playoffs which brings you to the point of with that said Jim how is the coach do you convince your team that the regular season matters. Like, how do you, how do you get guys up for games that aren't going to impress the fan base? How do you get guys up to play every day when you know darn well that 
you know, everybody in town is sitting there going, yeah, great, you won tonight, but what's going to happen in mid-April when the playoffs begin? Uh, I think that's, you know, it could be a problem for this team that to, to sort of, and for this coaching staff to sell to this group of players that it's vital that they play their best every night in an 82-game season when we all know that they're not going to be judged by that 82-game season. It's going to be a fascinating run, that's for sure. And I guess the, the key to it is is, is perspective. Let, let's switch over to the Jays. Um, I find this team really intriguing, and, and the wild card battle is, is certainly riveted to watch, almost a dead heat with three teams. Um, and, and the Vladdy story is, is fantastic. And I just, you know, I said this to Steve Phillips the other day, that if you were to name Vladdy as the MVP of the team, as soon as you did that, five of the names would, would be trumpeted out. You'd, you'd go, well, what about this guy? And the guy that I want to say, what about this? guy is Bo Bichette. What about this yeah. guy? His value to the team is, is very high. No, there's no doubt. I mean, he's, you know, you, you're right. It's, it's, it's a fascinating team for that very reason. I mean, you can make the case that there's a number of guys who've, who've been vital to the success that they've had. I mean, Vlad, now it's hard to, it's hard to argue that Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is not the MVP of this team. I mean, this is a guy on the verge, uh, certainly in the conversation, to win a triple crown. That hasn't been done since 2012, and we know Mickey Cabrera did it uh, after it hadn't been done in many, many decades before him. So, uh, you know, there is that. But you're right, Bichette, I mean, there was a moment there this season where you thought he was taking a step back. I guess it was probably in August, um, but he's he's had a nice resurgence in September, as has the entire club. And yeah, you're right. His 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 defensive acumen, his swagger, uh, his spirit, and obviously his bat have been you know, integral to this team. Um, and it's yeah, you're right. He's he's one of these guys that, in a lot of ways, it, it feel it, as much as. You know, Guerrero is an outsized character with an outsized personality and a, and obviously outsized stats. Uh, you know, there's been many, many moments in their ascendance as young players to established pros that they are now that you could make the case that this is Bichette's team. And I think there's there's many nights still where where it seems as though he is the beating heart of this ball club. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch. I'm looking for a comparable here, and I think we've talked before about, you know, you go back into the, the mid-80s with the Dominican players and, and the march to the World Series. There's that element there. There's a, there's a, a certainly an, an element of, of 2015 with, with how they're playing now. And, and there are elements from the World Series, Jays. It's sort of, when you watch the team now, it's sort of a blend of all that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. A, it is a blend. I mean, you got you right. Like the the like what you know, growing up in the eighties as I did, you know, there was always that place of pride in your heart that the Blue Jays team you were watching, you know, win the AL East, uh, you know, in nineteen eighty five for the first time, and then you know have the disappointments of the late eighties and go on to win uh, the back to back World Series in in ninety two ninety three. You know, the, there was always that place of pride that a lot of that team, the core of that team. Uh, was homegrown, right? And, and and to your point, a lot of it was, you know, homegrown in the in the Dominican uh, by by the by the legendary scouting staffs and development staffs that the Blue Jays had in those days that that brought those players to Toronto and, and turned them into major league players of incredible uh, incredible spirit and and uh, accomplishment. But so there is that, like the idea that you know Vlad, the idea that Vladdy's been a guy that you drafted as a 16 year old and you've brought him up through the ranks and now. Uh, at age 22, 
He's doing stuff that, you know, very few players in the history of baseball have done at age 22. Uh, you know, the, the, I, the, you love that storyline. You love that in-house storyline of this has been our guy from the get-go. We bet on this guy young, and we're betting on him, uh, you know, forever. Because let's face it, I mean, they're going to have to lock him up long-term uh, in the very near future here. Although I'm not sure negotiating off of, a, of an MVP caliber season like the one he's having is, is a great negotiating position for the Toronto Blue Jays. And they might want to they might want to wait a little bit before they but they figure out how much they're going to pay him here but uh yeah there there is that and then and then to your point about the you know that uh that mid 2010s team that that broke the longest playoff drought in in all of North American sports Jim yeah the late the late season resurgence here there's nothing more thrilling right than than a team that looks like it might be dead yeah. or certainly is on life support and you could say that about these Blue Jays only a couple weeks ago when, when it did not look good and the fan grass playoff probabilities were in the single digits and it seemed as though the Yankees and Red Sox weren't going to be caught. And you heck, not, never mind the Yankees and Red Sox, you were still hanging behind the Oakland A's and the Seattle Mariners in the standings. You know, suddenly you, you've vaulted forward with this incredible stretch run you've had. And, and all you got to do now is just kind of keep doing what you're doing, and, which is obviously a tall order because what they've been doing is putting up historic offensive numbers in the month of September. But So you got to believe that the, the, there will be a regression there. But, yeah, there's a lot of different elements there that bring back you know a lot of happy memories about a lot of great Blue Jays teams of the past, Jim. And, and, uh, and to me, there's, you know, as much as I love the postseason in basketball, as much as I love the postseason – in, in hockey and, and believe the Stanley Cup is, you know, it, there's an argument to be made that it is the hardest trophy to win in all the North American pro sports because of the physical toll it takes to win 16 games in a hockey playoff. You know, to me, this there almost there really isn't anything quite like the drama of, of a baseball postseason where every pitch matters and every at bat is crucial, and especially in a one game playoff, which is what the Blue Jays would be hoping to to head toward here. Uh, man, I can't. There, like, there is no better drama in sports to me than a than a one game winner take it all baseball uh, moment on, on a fall afternoon. And and I guess Blue Jays fans can only hope that they're about to witness one in the in the coming weeks. Dave, we tried to to pump Bo Bichette's tires, but I want to go back to to Vladdy. Uh, you know this this story. You know his first full season, uh, battling for a triple crown, getting um, you know mentioned as an MVP and a possible MVP, and, and probably only defeated by the composite of Babe Ruth from from you know anything that Babe Ruth yeah. can do, and, and Otani does it all in in one season. Um, th- but this Vladdy story, as a comparable to other great moments in Blue Jay history, where does it stand? Oh man, I mean, I guess it's you're like there's there haven't been many, right? There really haven't. When you look back, I mean, you know, like no, well, obviously no one's won a triple crown. I think that's what you know. And the interesting thing to me is, Jim, I think we I was on uh, the morning show earlier in the week, and we were talking about is there a conversation around the American League MVP? Uh, is is there a case to be made that Vladdy Guerrero Jr. you know can can be in the conversation with Shohei Otani for that award? Because I do believe there's a lot of people who who've just given it to Otani, and I think in in many ways rightly so. But I've I've been kind of surprised. Like there've there've been quite a few pundits in the states, and maybe just for the sake of our argument, because that's what pundits do. But you know, as much as I understand, there are people in the Blue Jays fan base that would that would love to give it to Vladdy Guerrero Jr. I personally, as a, as somebody who, who likes to think of himself as a neutral observer, uh, I, I have a hard time, 
you know, reconciling the idea that you can take somebody with triple crown numbers and then compare them to somebody who's, you know, an elite hitter uh, who's been in, you know, the home run race all year and is among the greatest, uh, the best hitters in the American League and then is also a top five pitcher in the American League. I just, I don't see how Vladdy can compare to that. I'm, I'm not sure how Otani loses this thing. And yet the Triple Crown means something to a lot of the, the baseball writers of America who are going to vote on this thing in the end uh, because it's an historic thing. Uh, you know, offensive numbers ultimately trump everything in baseball, it seems, uh, especially in this era where, where the home run uh, reigns supreme. So the home run king, obviously, uh, is going to get some precedence. And I, and I do think there's at least, you know, there are some people south of the border. Forget about Toronto, where, where obviously there's a bias toward, you know, you know, thinking about the positives of, of Vladdy Guerrero Jr. season, uh, there's there's a lot of people who believe that, that Guerrero will be in the conversation, especially because we've we've been raised in this era. We've certainly we've, we've come to think of the MVP award as an award that should go to somebody whose team is is competitive. You know, you know, in many sports, baseball not not necessarily the case because we've seen guys who've been on teams that aren't particularly good. And, and Mike Trout comes to mind on that very same Angels team as as a guy who's who's obviously been in the MVP conversation on a yearly basis, even though his t- he's played a career three playoff games. So, yeah, the, the, you know, the, in other words, Jim, I don't think there's ever been a Blue Jay who's had a season like this. Um, certainly, it was never, you know, obviously, if, especially if. Vladdy can pull off the unthinkable and win a triple crown, and that's the beauty of this. Like he is, he is a singular talent at a singular moment in time, and I'm not sure there's there's anything that really compares to it. Uh, let's let's end on golf, and, and uh, we just have this in the last three minutes. Uh, TSN has tweeted that uh, Kepka has confirmed he will play at the Ryder Cup. In a Golf Digest interview, he said he was frustrated by the way this event takes an individual player away from what he's accustomed to doing at a regular event. Well, dude, it's not a regular event. It's it's the Ryder yeah. Cup, and and by the way, Paul Isinger absolutely ripped a layer of skin off him, didn't he? Yeah, look, I mean, in some ways, I think I think that was a little bit hasty for Paul Azinger because when you really break down what what Kepka said, it was pretty reasonable to my view. Like it was, it was essentially him just pointing out, maybe as a way of explaining why the Americans have not been very good at the Ryder Cup, Jim, because of course they've lost you know seven of the last nine Ryder Cups. Uh, you know, and and have really had it handed to them in a lot of those, uh, a lot of those uh, competitions with Team Europe. All he was pointing out was that this is not a regular week for him, right? In in other words, when he looks at the way yeah. he plays his best, when he in a major, like he doesn't he doesn't get to do the same things he gets to do when he's playing his best. We know it's an individual sport. He's talking about, hey, I don't get my own physio guy on board. I don't have the same schedule. I don't get the same amount of rest. I don't I don't have the opportunity to do all the things I do to prepare myself when I'm playing for Brooks Kepka Incorporated as when I'm playing for Team USA in a Ryder Cup. That's really what he said. Now I understand that there's a spirit to what he said that probably didn't thrill Paul Azinger. And, I, and, and especially when you look at the way the Europeans tend to embrace the positives rather than dwell on the negatives of the Ryder Cup, right? These guys, for whatever reason, and I think there's, you know, there's been a lot written on why the Europeans embrace the team aspect of golf more than the, the Americans do, 
and there's deep-seated cultural you know implications there but for whatever reason the Europeans do seem to embrace the idea that you know we're in this together uh, this is a, this is a, a brotherhood we're all a lot of these guys have known each other for a long long time and they've been friends for a long long time and competitors for a long long time and, and they seem to just look at everything on you know, with the glass half full uh, as a Euro- team Europe whereas the Americans and maybe Kepka's exhibit A look at the downsides and, and point out hey this isn't my regular game and well, I don't know how much more you need to know about why the Americans haven't been successful than that but look this is he's not the first guy that's pointed this stuff out right like Tiger Woods never said it as explicitly yep. as this but Tiger Woods, you know, made it very clear that team golf was never his thing. And Tiger Woods' career record in the Ryder Cup in terms of the Team USA's he's been on is a, a, a startlingly poor one in seven, right? This is a, Tiger Woods start, was the star player on exactly one Ryder Cup winning team and on seven losing teams. And, and so I think that tells you something of the American mentality. I don't think it's just, you know, I don't think it's just Brooks Kepka. That looks at it this way, Jim. I really don't. And I think for Azinger to kind of tear a strip off him, yeah. look, I understand it. I think it was his obligation in some ways to address it. I thought it was a little harsh because I just don't think what Kepka was saying was particularly revolutionary. Dave, well said. Thanks very much for stopping by. Really appreciate it. Jim, always a pleasure. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. That's Dave Festuck, Toronto Star columnist. You know, I, I concur with what Dave said. There's two things uh, that I want to get into here just briefly before we break. I don't like when, when people are asked to, re- to react to what somebody else said because usually you're reacting to something taking out of context or it's just a like a quick a hot take, if you will. Not a big fan of that stuff. And the other thing is, you know, I think he nailed it. The Ryder Cup for the Americans is, um, I don't know that they have the greatest team chemistry. They've got great individual golfers. There's no question about that. But this is is a, a, as uh, as Kepka said, this is a different type of event, and I think they've always stumbled with that in the past in terms of like certain people have to be on the team. You can't say no to somebody who's achieved on the PGA Tour, and yet maybe you might be better off if you did. A, a, an interesting problem for them, and the results sort of bear that out. Coming up next, we're going to play Yes Guy, No Guy with Stephanie. Oh, can't wait for that. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Toronto Today, Jim Taddy with you until 1. Then it's gameplay with Matt Cause. And Mr. Cause will be by in about 15 minutes to help us get through some NFL talk and Major League Baseball, all kinds of stuff. I haven't talked to Cause in a while, so this could be an interesting conversation. Uh, as we speak, Canadian men, the Canadian men's soccer team has risen to number 51 in the FIFA rankings. And as you heard in the commercial break, Giants and Washington tonight on NFL Thursday Night Football. Uh, you can have all the action here on TSN 1050 at 8. You can watch it on TSN 1, 3, 4, and 5. In other words, you can't miss it. it it's all over the place. And, and you can't miss this. Yes, guy. No, guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the first ever Toronto Today. So the debut edition on Toronto Today of Yes, Guy, No, Guy. Producer Stephanie's going to help us out. Go ahead, Steph. Hey, Batman. I can't believe we've been doing this show for, what, almost two weeks now? And we've yet to do a Yes, Guy, yeah. no, no, Guy? That's, like, that's I, a travesty. I know. You should speak, speak to the producer about that. Yeah, she's uh, yeah, she's been mailing it in. I think so. We'll correct this now. Okay, so my first one, Tatman. Yep. 
Although this yeah. is now, I'm curious to hear your answer because coming off that that hit with Fast Track, I'm a little bit down on the Leafs. But my first question to you: the Leafs will be a 100 point plus team this season. Yes, guy, no guy. And just for a bit of uh, background here, one odds maker has the over under for the Leafs points total at 105.5. Uh, just to give you a heads up mm. on that. Okay, I'm going to go a hard yes guy. Uh, 82-game regular season, sometimes because it's been a while, we forget what that's like. And so uh, there are built-in wins and, and built-in losses. Um, there are games that you know are against teams that, that uh, it's not like last year where it was like uh, you were locked in a room with these this group of teams that they could figure you out. So, so you, you're going to be playing teams that are coming out of other situations. So uh, I, I, you know, I don't have any problem with what they do in the regular season, and I don't think anybody should. Uh, their analytics, their, their numbers, everything they do is based Based on a full season, we saw how good that could have been. I mean, last year was a great regular season for them. If you could project that over 82 games, you might have franchise records. So regular season, not the problem. Yes, guy, at least will be 100 points plus this season. I feel like I, I, I could easily see the Leafs being like at the top of the division. I could also, you know, be convinced that maybe they could be battling for a playoff spot. It's, it's so hard to predict this year. Um, my next question to you, and I feel like this is going to be a for sure yes guy, but Matthews will win back-to-back Rocket trophies. He will be the Rocket Richard winner once again this season. Yes guy, no guy. Um, I'm going to have to say yes guy. I mean, he did that with a with an apparent wrist injury last year, so... God only knows what he could do over 82 games with a healthy wrist. I mean, this is uh, this is going to be fun to watch. And again, we'll preface all all of it by saying it's regular season. So I'm going to go hard yes guy on that. I mean, they will entertain. There's no question about that. These questions that we all have are geared to a best four to seven format, and we're not going to get there until the middle of April. So until then, uh, let's enjoy this. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I have a follow up Matthews one. Um, so yesterday yeah. on first up, Carlo Koliakovo, um, he was talking about how he had submitted his TSN, um, hockey top 50 player list. You know, they do that every year. And Carlo was an early yeah. bird and got his list in quick. And he revealed where he had Matthew slotted in, in the top 50 list. I'm going to let you hear Carlo's reasoning for why he put Matthews at number two, just behind Connor McDavid. And then I want you to either agree or disagree with Carlos' sentiments there. Uh, Chris, you got the clip? I actually have McKinnon at number three. Oh, um, okay. You know, ju- and, and, be- and the reason for that is because I'm not trying to take away from the impact that he has on the game and how dynamic he is offensively. It's just there's still work needs to be done on defensive game. And I think I'm going to choose goal scoring over any stat that exists in hockey and so what that does for me at number two is it slides austin matthews in at number two because 41 goals last year in a 56 game season i think fully healthy in an 82 game season this guy can be a consistent 50 goal scorer or at least uh get close to that year after year and part of the reason for that is because he's going to have one of the best wingers on his wing and mitch marner that can help him get to that point 
Yeah, so Coco, I'm going to go yes guy. Yes guy to that. I mean, you know, we're talking 50 goals. We could be talking much more than that. And, and again, it's regular season. And if he is to win the Rocket Richard Award, why wouldn't he be number two in the league? I, I, I think the McKinnon story is uh, more geared at, at the full game as opposed to the top end of the game. I mean, obviously McKinnon has great offensive totals, but uh, he's not going to win the Rocket Richard. That's, that's going to be Austin Matthews. So totally yes guy to Coco. Okay, I'm going to move on to the Jays here. Um, just because, you know, coming off another dominant night out of Robbie Ray, you know, there's been the chatter all week on the front runners for the, the Cy Young nail. So my question to you, Tats, Robbie Ray is an absolute, absolute lock for the AL Cy Young winner this year. Uh, I, I have to disagree with Locke, but I'm going to say he he would be my choice. Um, you know, like a guy who could get out there and, and and whiff 13 batters and not allow a walk. I mean that that's total control. Um, he is he's a stud. He's got what 10 uh, games of, of 10 plus uh, Ks or 10 Ks or more, which is I think it's the best in Major League Baseball. So I'm going to say I, I I don't know if I'd say Locke. I guess you could, but definitely my Cy Young. So yes, guy to that. Awesome. And then another Jays follow-up. Jose Burrios, yes guy, no guy, is one of the best MLB trade deadline deals this year. Um, I'm going to say yes guy to that, too. I mean, uh, people would argue about Scherzer going to the Dodgers, but uh, Barrios, uh, what he adds to the Jays' starting staff is like the missing piece. Uh, you know, the funny thing, uh, when you acquire somebody at the deadline and, and then you, you see the contribution, and, and hopefully that uh, that sort of uh, uh, mid-range uh, injury that he had, the tightness of the muscle, uh, is just a, a temporary thing. But, but I like to do this. If, if you look at what he's accomplished since the deadline and how he's helped the rotation, if you took him out, where would they be? Well, they wouldn't be in the wild card, I don't think. So, yes, I would agree. Yes, guy. Yes, guy to that. And my last one, and this one you can actually probably ask Matty Cause when he comes up next, but yes, guy, no, guy, the Bills will rebound this week after their offense came out flat against the Steelers. Oh, boy. The Bills were there in Miami, right? Um uh, I'm gonna say yeah, better they better guy. I, I, so I, I'm gonna say yes, guy. I mean, I I do not want the Bills to go zero and two. That's just gonna set off a, a really bad chain of uh, events in terms of analysis. So so yes, guy, the Bills will respond. I don't know quite what happened in the second half against the Steelers, but game one, we'll see what happens. So yes, guy, to that. Awesome. That was that was my last one for you, Taddy. Thanks for letting me play along with you. Oh, <laughs> I like the way you said that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll do this again, Steph. Thanks very much. <laughs> Coming up next, Matthew Cos will join us, getting set for gameplay, and uh, he's going to go over a few things as well. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. That's the National Football League. Each offseason, you got to work like it's the last season, and I just don't see a work ethic in Aaron Rodgers that I have in previous years. And uh, actually, you can see it right through his his helmet. The eyes and the face tell, tells everything of the personality. And uh, I just don't see it, that NFL hunger and, and just feel hungry to go win another championship. I just think it's cliche and talk um, that, that guys get up there and say, oh, I want to win a championship. I mean, it sounds good, but I want to see what you do on the field. Finley saying the eye of the tiger has vacated Aaron Rodgers. 
which is an interesting perspective. I always find it's interesting when you look at some people will do or say things or, or there's a loss and the analysis is based on as a reaction of that. Uh, but this is a guy who uh, who played with him, who understands what he should be looking for, and he's not seen it. Let's bring in Matt Cause, host of Gameplay, which starts at 1. Mr. Cause, how are you today, sir? I am fantastic. How about yourself, Mr. Caddy? Uh, let me check. Well, I got word that Al's brother is going to go with all the opposites of my yes guy, uh, no guy mm. results, which is probably probably reassuring for me. But but nonetheless, uh, other than that that swipe, I, I'm okay. But you know, do, do you agree with like sometimes after the loss, the analysis is different um, when somebody says something, or like Aaron Rodgers is in that sort of limbo with the Packers, you might look at him differently. Is is, is there anything to that? Well, I mean, uh, for often we we will play the results and then we'll just fit that into whatever narrative that we want. And and fans and media, we can all be guilty of it. The the, the thing with with Aaron Rodgers is everything is going to be hyper analyzed, isn't it? I mean, you, the yeah. entire off season it was Aaron Rodgers planting stories with high-end NFL reporters about he's miserable, he wants to be traded, stories coming out right before the NFL draft, and then lackluster play, bad interceptions against the Saints. And how can you not just hyperanalyze everything with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, because he just he looked so bad versus winning the MVP last year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's time for him to leave the Packers, isn't it? It, it, it felt like it was time during the draft. It felt like it was uh, – I, I always thought the 49ers, after they moved up, they should have made the trade uh, and got Aaron Rodgers and then let Green Bay draft Kyle Pitts with, like, the number three pick. Or, or the Denver Broncos. That team has so much talent around them. And I know Jerry Judy is hurt right now, but a receiver, a tight end, a running back, and Vaughn Miller came back. Like, it, it really felt like that was something that should have been done, um, that, that should have been done this offseason. So Thursday night football, Giants in Washington, the NFC least, and there's only uh, only the Eagles won in the opening week, which is really fits that that division, doesn't it? I mean, this this is uh, an interesting game in that whoever wins is going to take a giant leap forward. Well, I'll say this right now as as a plug for gameplay for people out there that don't really do much betting or single game betting or player props. A Giants Washington game is why you need this. Just put down 25 bucks on Daniel Jones to throw an interception and suddenly a game that, let's be honest, is not the most compelling game suddenly becomes interesting and more fun. Um, the, you're right. The NFC East is lousy. So this game, you know, is, is critical for the Giants. They go down 0-2. I mean, ah, it doesn't feel like they can do much anyway. For, for Washington, them going down 0-2 would be more disappointing. Uh, just because there is more talent and more expectations on uh, on that side of the ball, uh, but I mean overall, this game feels this game feels like a Washington win, a take the under. Um, I do kind of like Taylor Heineke. I think he's not a bad quarterback. He looked really good in that playoff loss last year against uh, against Tampa. But yeah, this is a really bad division, and we don't know how good Philly is because let's face it, they beat up on a really bad Atlanta team. I think the most impressive team from week one in the NFC East was actually uh, the Dallas Cowboys, who were leading Tampa with under a minute to go. 
Yeah, yeah, they had that game, and then, of course, Tom Brady took over and, and did his magic. Uh, this is the, the great part of, of a week, too, is uh, trends from the first week can continue positively or negatively. And so for Miami, Buffalo's in Miami. For The, the Dolphins go into New England and win a game, which in, in the past was next to impossible, so they sit at 1-0. and And the Bills had that vacant second half against the Steelers and could possibly go 0-2. That would be a, a major fork in the road for the Bills, who they expectations are so high how do you how do you sort of case that game out here's what i think i love the buffalo bills in this game i don't miami cannot replicate the pass rush that pittsburgh did in week one they don't have a cameron hayward and a tj watt Um, they will not be able to contain josh allen the way the Pittsburgh Steelers did, which put together one of the most creative and imaginative week one uh, defensive schemes and really just fooled and confused the Buffalo Bills. I don't expect that two weeks in a row. Buffalo, um, you know, between Sean McDermott and Brian Dayball, these are really good coaches. I don't expect that. On the other side, Miami probably should have lost that game. They were dominated pretty much throughout by New England. New England just bad in the red zone and some dumb mistakes, but – If Xavier Howard doesn't force that fumble on Damian Harris, the the running back for the Pats late in that game, New England probably wins week one. So I think Buffalo wins. I think Buffalo covers. I am a, uh, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of, um, of the Bills to win and cover that three and a half in Miami. What sticks to the wall from you or for you from from week one? For me, it was uh, because I'm a Lions fan. Watching Matt Stafford work with the defense—I mean, that that just opens up a, a an interesting premise for the Rams, doesn't it? Oh, it really does. And if you want to stick with that game, what did we see early on? Just a lot of deep shots from Matt Stafford. I think the first play or early on was a 56 yarder, and then a 67 yarder. Um, Matt Stafford, he had a quarterback rating 36 points higher than any of his first 20 games against the Chicago Bears. You put Stafford with that coaching staff, with that offense, um, you know, it it was incredible to watch. Uh, The Rams have issues still running the ball, but wow, Stafford was everything that the Rams wanted. So, you know, that certainly stuck out. Um, You know, the other things beyond the Green Bay – it kind of has to be Arizona and the Arizona Cardinals were really good in the first half of last year. Then Kyler Murray got hurt and it wasn't some dramatic injury, but it was enough uh, that it really uh, pulled down the offense. And then, you know, you saw how great he looked against Tennessee, a team that everyone had pegged for 10 or 11 wins. And Chandler Jones had five sacks and just a dominant performance by the cards where we, you know, we talk about the NFC East being so lousy. Then there's the NFC West. For all four teams, we just mentioned the Rams, all four teams are really bleeping good. Okay, just a couple of minutes, so a quick answer here. Raiders against yeah. the Steelers in Pittsburgh. I, I love the the Monday night game was, was absolutely thrilling, and the Steelers have a pretty good defense. How do you see that playing out? Uh, I like the Raiders. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. I like the Steelers. I think they have five and a half. I think they win in cover, partially because Vegas, West Coast, going to the East Coast, one o'clock start. That game was Monday night. Less rest for the Raiders. And that game went into overtime. My only concern is the Steelers' offensive line can't really block, but I'll still take Pittsburgh. Oh, I, Pittsburgh to win, take them on the money line, and maybe the spread as well. 
Oh, and thank you for for uh, you know boosting Al's brother's morale yesterday. He took a whipping. Oh, well, I mean, at least he had the guts. And we're going to talk about this on gameplay. He had the guts to take that juggernaut Arizona Diamondbacks team against that plucky young Dodger team, that mom-and-pop little small market, small salary Dodgers team. Uh, he took the Dodgers to beat Arizona. That's one that no one saw coming. <laughs> Matt, thanks very much. We look forward to gameplay at 1 o'clock. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks, Jim. That is Matt Cause, host of Gameplay, and we'll set that up for you shortly, just about a minute and a half before we're out of here. So I just want to go back over uh, the Jays situation off today, starting against Minnesota at home on Friday. Ryu goes, Mats goes Saturday, Sunday it's Manoa, and then Monday on to Tampa, and Barrios will start it all over again. So as I said earlier, they play, just look at my schedule, 10 days in a row, and their next off day would be Monday, September 27th. So Minnesota in Tampa in Minnesota, day off, and then at home to the Yankees, at home to the Baltimore Orioles, and then hopefully wild card playoff action. I, I don't see why that wouldn't happen for them. The other breaking story that happened just before we went on at noon was the announcement by the National Hockey League that the Heritage Classic will hit Hamilton's Tim Hortons Field. It'll be March 13th, uh, Sunday afternoon. Buffalo and Toronto, the outdoor game. Uh, first time an American team is playing uh, in the Heritage Classic. So uh, an interesting sort of rejuvenation for the Sabres uh, because of the border's been closed and so sort of getting their Canadian fans involved and uh, the neutral site, if you will. Tim Hortons Field, uh, an interesting location. And, and as I said earlier, hasn't been announced who the home team is, but original reports said it was going to be Buffalo. So we'll get out of here setting the stage for gameplay with Matt Cause and Al's brother is next. Thanks for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of Toronto Today and hope you have a great afternoon. Thanks for stopping by.